Hi, I'm Florence. As all of you who are sitting out here tonight in this room already know that we all share a common reason for being in this program. Al-Anon has been a vital part of my life uh, for over 18 years, and I'm a very grateful uh, member and a part of this fellowship. Now, we come into Al-Anon because we usually aren't exactly happy about someone else's drinking or drug abuse. And rarely do we see it as being our problem. The only problem that we think we have is how to figure out how to get them to quit. I came into the program because I am the mother of a child who abused drugs and alcohol and became very, very addicted. And like many others, I came because I knew, I knew it was my duty and my responsibility as a parent to do something about this. And the quicker, the better. Now the fact that this child was now a 24-year-old young adult, I didn't think excused me from anything. Well, that's why I came into the program, but there are better reasons why I stay because I found out that it's exactly where I belong. It was the one place where I was given unbelievable support. I was so embarrassed when I, came, when I first came into Al-Anon because now these people would know my terrible secret and how I had failed as a parent. Now, it never occurred to me that these people might be sitting there for the same reason that I was. And I didn't want anyone telling me that it was my fault because I already knew that it was my fault. Now, those people at the meeting, they, they didn't know me and they didn't know my story. And yet they seemed to just know and they seemed to just understand. And I wondered, how do they do that? It was an Al-Anon where I really first began to understand the disease of drug and alcohol addictions and the role that we, the families, play. And before getting into the program, I'm not real sure that I would have called it a disease, and I'm not so sure I would have believed that it uh, was a disease. Although certainly I was aware that uh, some people had drug and alcohol problems and were known to be uh, alcoholics and drug uh, addicts. I didn't exactly live in a vacuum, but before coming into Al-Anon, I knew virtually nothing about the nature of drug and alcohol addictions as I had nothing to compare it to. I grew up on several small different farms in central North Dakota farms that didn't produce uh, nor support the family particularly well. And we lived in somewhat small and isolated, uh, your typical rural-type communities. But I didn't exactly live in isolation. I come from a very large family of 12 children. I grew up with six sisters and five brothers. I'm number 11. And no one drank in my family. Uh, and the drug culture as we know it today didn't exist in my world. And as a child, I think I'm safe to say that I never even heard the word alcoholic, and certainly not drug addict. Alcohol was never in my home. And I, 
I know that I didn't even know what alcohol was, and taking or doing drugs was not a part of anyone's vocabulary. Now, my parents were poor farmers, struggling to raise us 12 kids, but I guess trying to feed and raise 12 children, anybody would be poor. Uh, but I do love looking back to when I was a kid. I always felt like I really had a good childhood. And on looking back, today I know that to be true. And it was great having all those brothers and sisters and living on a farm while we were expected to work. But we also had a lot of freedom, freedom to run and play and roam you know, all over the countryside. And, and we knew how to play by the rules and we knew how to get along. And we also had to learn at a very young age how to be responsible and take care of ourselves. And to make a family that large function, we learned early how to share in the work. Now, taking charge and taking control and being responsible was a major part of my upbringing. Now, like all farm families, we had a lot of chores to do, and we all had to help. And we helped milk the cows, and we had to help with the field work, and, and we also had to help our mother in the house. And we didn't have to be told twice that there was work to be done. We simply were expected to get out there and do it. But we were a close-knit family, and then other than the ordinary noise and squabbling that you would expect of 12 kids, we all got along very well, and we are still in keeping really close touch today with the uh, 10 of us that are still living. Now, as a child, I truly didn't realize that we were as poor as we were. I was born about the time that the uh, Depression was coming to an end, although I would uh, later hear my mother talk about the real hardships she had trying to feed and clothe uh, all of us. But I always had enough to eat, and I always had a roof over my head, and, and I always did feel real secure. And I suppose technically today we would have been classified as living below the poverty level. Well, actually, I know we did live well below the poverty level. But I really did not feel that I was affected by this, and I don't even think I noticed it or was aware of it, until my high school years. Now, for whatever reason that I never understood, and I still don't today, there was a stigma on being a farm kid, on being farmers, and especially among the kids and, and many of the adults, too, who lived in, uh, in the towns. And I don't know if this is still happening today, and I sure hope it isn't, but when I was growing up, farmers were labeled often referred to as being dumb farmers, you would hear comments like, oh, them, they're just dumb farmers. And of course, I was a farm kid. Now, my parents were uneducated Germans uh, who had immigrated from Russia when they were children, coming with their parents uh, looking for a better life. Now, my parents were very good and loving parents, and I absolutely have no regrets on how they raised me. And I am, and I always will be, very grateful to them. But there was this stigma, and I often envied town kids. I thought they acted superior, and I was quite convinced that they were. I often felt like I didn't quite measure up. As farmers, I knew we were kind of looked down on, 
and I felt like I had to somehow always prove myself. I don't know, but maybe this was where I began to be overly concerned about what other people thought of me. Now, this is probably going to sound silly, but this was a big thing to me. This was a real biggie in my life. Town kids had running water and bathrooms, and most of them had nice houses, anyway, compared to the one I lived in. And I'm telling you that this was a big, overblown issue for me. Anyone with indoor plumbing seemed rich and certainly a level above that I was. Now, mind you, we had running water, too. We ran to the well, (laughs) then we pumped the water into the pail, and then we ran with it to wherever our mother said she needed it. And you can guess that the outhouse wasn't exactly a bathroom in the house. Now, I was never, I was never ashamed of my parents, but I was embarrassed to have those town kids with bathrooms and runny water into my home. Now, I lived in a very clean but a very small and a somewhat shabby house. And the farmhouse we lived in when I was in high school had a a little lean-to, and that served as the only bedroom where some of us girls slept. And I think maybe by this time there were only five of us uh, kids still at home. The rest were either out on their own or they were married. And my parents had a bed in the living room, and that's where they slept. And my brothers had to roll a rollaway out into the kitchen at night, and that became their bedroom. And I always longed to have everything looking nice. For me, it was a deep longing to have everything neat and orderly. I hated clutter and messiness. Wanting to somehow create a nice little tidy uh, space for myself and have better control over my surroundings. Now, I know that this stigma bothered me, but I have great memories of my years in high school. They, They really were good years for me. I always had a lot of friends, and some were even town kids, but they were the ones without running water and bathrooms. Uh, One of my very best friends, and she still is today, lived across the uh, railroad tracks in a section of town that didn't have plumbing. And it was dubbed Garlic Street by the townspeople. Now, apparently, the people who lived across the uh, tracks were no better off than us farmers, and I could identify with them, and they became my really good friends. Now, this didn't keep me from being involved in all kinds of uh, high school activities, and uh, those years went uh, very well for me. I really enjoyed school, and I uh, always seemed to know how to have a lot of fun, a sense of humor that is still with me today. Now, shortly after graduation from high school, I married, of all people, a farm kid. But this was no ordinary farm kid. This one had a college degree. Or anyway, he was in the process of finishing his degree. And we got married during my my, uh, husband's last year of college, and I got a job as a secretary on the college campus to help put him through school. And we bought this wonderful 
eight by 30 foot trailer house, but it seemed like a mansion to me. Nowadays, I see much bigger ones than that being pulled up to the mountains just for a weekend. (laughs) But it seemed like a mansion to me. And best of all, it had this little tiny, but a real bathroom. (laughs) Now, the only problem was that the facilities available for parking trailers on the college campus did not have plumbing hookups. So guess what? Back to running with a pail of water and outdoor bathrooms. But this was just temporary. I was now married to a very dependable, responsible, hardworking, a really good, kind, and loyal man. A man who was very ambitious and goal-oriented. And he had extremely high work ethics and standards the battle cry became, work long, work longer, work hard, work harder and longer, work as many hours as was humanly possible, get ahead, be successful with a no-nonsense, sensible approach. And that became the ultimate uh, goal. Anything less was not acceptable and could be open to criticism. Now, this was a philosophy that I admired, but at the same time, it was a philosophy that I came to resent, but also a philosophy that I know that I took up and ran with, and I certainly contributed to. I know now that there is another word that was not in my vocabulary, and that is workaholic. I resented it in my husband. I didn't want to live that way but I worked just as hard helping to live that way. And having many of those same traits, I hate to tell you, myself. And I know that I was in conflict with this lifestyle and I reacted strongly. I know that I gave a lot of double messages to myself and to others. In defiance, my attitude was, you want to see how hard and long I can work? I'll show you that I can work just as hard and just as long as the best of them. And I did exactly just that. But at the same time, I was trying to control and arrange everything and everybody that was getting so muddled up with this lifestyle. Defiant and angry much of the time, I slowly began to create within myself a monster of anger, of blame, of self-pity, and a real good dose of martyrdom. When we left North Dakota to move to Wyoming, I packed this all up and I took it with me. Now, we sold our business in North Dakota and we bought the same uh, type of business here in Wyoming. The rationale was that we would now change our lifestyle. We would have more help in running the business than we had in the previous one, get a life, so to speak, and not be so driven and possessed and obsessed with just focusing on work. At last, hooray, some balance in our lives. We also had some other reasons uh, for making this move, and I wanted 
desperately. I wanted desperately to believe that we were also making this change for some good, sound, and personal reasons. But there was something out of focus with this picture. Why, I wondered, were we going from a business that was open six days a week to one that required being open seven days a week plus every night? And within this business were two other businesses that we also owned and were responsible for. I came protesting and with screech marks in the road all the way to Wyoming. It was true, we did have more employees and we did uh, have more help, which translated into more management for ourselves. And the demand on our time and energy was threefold, fourfold, I don't know how many fold. And nothing, nothing changed. And it became clear to me what the real reason for making this move was, and believe me, it wasn't to get more balance in our lives. In our lives. And my anger and my resentment went up several more notches. Now, I found that my value and my self-worth were tied to how hard I could work, how organized and efficient I could be. Isn't that what everybody liked and expected? Isn't that what I liked and expected of myself? Keeping my home in perfect order and raising, of course, no less than perfect children. And God forbid that I should displease or be criticized by anyone. You know, I loved being told that I was the best worker in the business and that I could work rings around anybody. I discovered that by conducting myself in this manner is how I received praise and how I was admired. I told my family that when I die, I want my tombstone to read, I told you I was sick. Now, back in the late uh, 1960s and 70s, uh, when our children were growing up, the absolute worst fear that I had was that my kids would be influenced or worse yet, get involved in the drug culture that was so uh, prevalent then. As you do, uh, no doubt remember, those were the days of the flower children and free love and the Vietnam War and the Vietnam War protesters and songs were sung glorifying drugs and uh, getting high and making that look so attractive to young people. And everything was changing. The peaceful era of the 1950s, an era that I understood, an era that I was so comfortable in, an era that made sense to me, was lost and gone. And I think we all know how easily kids are swayed. And I worried how all this might affect them that they might get caught up with this and have a problem with drugs was my worst nightmare. Now, to me, this would be the ultimate heartbreak, the ultimate disgrace, the ultimate failure on my part, just unthinkable 
an impossibility for me to survive. It's interesting to me now how I never worried too much about alcohol. Of course, I used to question when I would hear uh, parents uh, say things like, well, maybe my kid does drink too much, but at least they're not into drugs. And I used to think to myself, how does that make one better than the other? And of course, I knew that my kids would never get messed up with either one. I would see to that. (laughs) Then it was like, wow, we made it. Our kids did well in school, staying on the honor roll, graduating from high school without incident or getting into trouble. They were good students and good grades, good kids. No real problems uh, that uh, are incidents that aren't normal to uh, teenagers. And my husband and I patted ourselves on the back. We were so grateful that we were lucky enough, uh, lucky enough to have kids who did so well in school. And we patted ourselves on the back again for being such good, responsible parents. You know, I felt sorry for the poor dorks who didn't seem to know how to raise such great kids, being quite convinced that their kids would not fare as well as ours, and we knew exactly whose fault that would be. I knew a lot of those dorks. Their kids certainly would never make it. No discipline already drinking and using drugs and running wild, dropping out of school. Their parents spent a lot of time sitting in the bars and just generally being irresponsible. Now you could almost bet that their kids would likely end up being alcoholics and drug addicts. And I would hear that many of them were already going down that road. Well, no wonder, look at the dorks that they have as parents. This wasn't going to happen in our family. Famous last words that I chewed up and ate many times, especially when I found out, and it was many years later that I found out, that one of our kids had started smoking pot in the seventh grade, and at the time, I simply did not know. Now the ultimate disgrace, the worst nightmare, the unthinkable was now a part of our household. The dreaded words and addiction in the family. No way was I going to say the words drug addict or alcoholic. Let's call it something more clinical and respectable. I preferred chemically dependent. (laughs) How could we, being such good, responsible parents who did everything right, how could we have possibly have raised a drug addict and an alcoholic? Now just maybe, just maybe, I could accept being responsible for a child who was chemically dependent, but good grief, 
not a drug addict and an alcoholic, I did not want to hear or say those words. Now, I had thought if we got the kids uh, through high school, we would be home free. This was no longer a child, but was now a young adult who was supposed to know better and should be safe and past the danger zone. Or so I thought. How did this happen? Did I feel responsible for this? Did I think I had done something terribly wrong? You bet I did. Total recall went through my mind from the time that this child was born, trying to figure out what it was that I had done wrong. Certainly, I must have been deaf, dumb, and blind not to have seen this coming. I know now that there were signs, but I did not recognize these signs, nor did I ever dream of the things that we were yet to face. My agony and my guilt were, were tremendous, and I kept saying, what went wrong? How could I have let this happen? And you know, I kept defending myself. I kept saying we were a good family. We went to church. Our kids went to Sunday school. And we had very close family ties. Our kids were involved in all kinds of high school activities, and we never missed going to any of these functions. Sure, those parents who were dorks, they were the ones who would find themselves and their kids in all kinds of trouble. They were the ones who would raise drug addicts and alcoholics. This certainly can't be a home that allows a child to become a drug addict and an alcoholic. Drug addicts and alcoholics do not come out of good homes. Boy, did I have a lot to learn. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. I was mortified. What was I going to tell my family? What was I going to tell my friends? How was I going to hide this terrible secret? How long could I hide this terrible secret? What was going to happen to this poor addicted child, this child who no longer was a child but a young adult? What was going to happen in the future? What kind of a future could this possibly be for any of us? Now we talk about uh, learning to be grateful in Al-Anon. Well, let me tell you what I was grateful for. I was grateful that we now lived 500 miles away from our home and our family and our friends where our children were raised. And I was never, but never, going back home for fear someone would find out or ask questions. And I prayed that no one would even think about coming to visit if they even so much as suggested that they were coming, I would have to think of some way to head them off at the border. <laughs> as you can see, I knew absolutely nothing about the disease of drug and alcohol addictions and that anyone could fall prey to it. Now I call this part of my story Act Three. And Act 3 finds us at a treatment center, confused, 
We're scared. The counselors are shouting at us, fingers pointing in every direction, and we're not understanding what they're trying to tell us. They're talking about enabling. They're calling me a co-alcoholic, and they're making me say that when, we, when I introduce myself. Hi, my name is Florence. I'm a co-alcoholic. What in the hell is a co-alcoholic? <laughs> It must mean I'm guilty. Okay, I'll just raise my hand and I'll admit that it's all my fault and let's just get this over with. And I remember in particular one counselor with his eyes bulging and he's ready to leap out of his chair and he's shouting at us poor dorks as we sat around in a circle on family day Oh, yes, I had a new understanding of parents who were dorks because (laughs) I had just become one of them. And this counselor, pointing his fingers, and he shouted at us, and you people go to Al-Anon, although I was too scared to say it out loud, I know that I silently shouted back, Of course I will. I will do whatever it takes to get this child to stop. And if I have to go to this thing called Elanon, that's exactly what I will do. Now, everyone has his day, and when you are sitting in a treatment center with guilt written all over you, some days sure seem to last a lot longer than others. Now, it was during family week as the... uh, the first time that I ever tell us about the first step, I totally agreed that they knew exactly what they were talking about, and I immediately understood how I was to use this step. There was no doubt that this kid's life was unmanageable, and it certainly had everything to do with alcohol and drugs, and this kid better darn well start getting some power over it. Now the finger pointers at the treatment center told us in their best commanding voices, we want you people to buy the Al-Anon book. I don't know why, but they always like to refer to us as you people. At least they didn't call me a dork. (laughs) And I started looking in that book, and I couldn't believe it. The alcoholics had put their 12 steps in my book. What does this have to do with me? I don't drink. And for heaven's sakes, look at me. Do I look like somebody who would do drugs? I don't think so. But then I thought, oh, I get it. I understand why they're in my book. Apparently, it's going to be my job to help this kid see how these steps work. (laughs) So I better know this stuff. Now they had told us that recovery, in the treatment center, they had told us that recovery was a process, and then they gave us some statistics on relapses. So then I started worrying about how long this process was going to take, 
and I wondered on which family day they would tell me how to prevent relapses. Aren't they calling me a co-alcoholic? Doesn't the co in front of co-alcoholic mean a partnership? It does, doesn't it? It means cooperating, uh, togetherness. That's what co means to me. And the way it looked to me was that the co-alcoholic was expected to help the alcoholic to stay sober. What other reason would they have for bringing up the first step to me? It all made sense to me. And I thought, boy, do I have my work cut out for me. But I knew that I could handle it. This is another act in my play. And this is attending my first Al-Anon meetings. I came willing and eager to do the battle that had been assigned to me. This was going to be an exciting challenge. We would all get into what they called programs. The whole family would get into programs. And we could all get back to our normal lives. Although I did have big worries about the drug addict and the alcoholic following the program, I knew that I could and would be the necessary influence. And I would manage this so well that no one would even know that anything had happened. And you could be sure that I wasn't going to tell. And just in case someone did find out, I had it all thought out. I would be very clinical and professional and I would give them all my expertise on chemical dependencies. And I would know exactly how to do this because I was going to be well prepared ahead of time. I had already bought all these professional books on the subject and I would be prepared. And I would be prepared by reading them from cover to cover and I would be ready. This wasn't going to get the best of me. The war was on. Now this act is entitled Real Life. Somehow the others didn't understand my plan that I had for them. The drug addict and alcoholic kept having relapses. And I don't understand why because I distinctly remember pointing out the benefits of going to a lot of meetings. And I even had the name of a person who I knew would be a perfect sponsor. <laughs> and I had also arranged some special counseling sessions. And as hard as I tried to keep this secret, it seems like everyone found out anyway, or I found myself telling them, trying desperately to explain it to anyone who would listen, and I think oftentimes to people who didn't even much care. And I couldn't remember a thing I had read in those professional chemical dependency books. I can hardly even say those words. Nor did I understand what I had read anyway. And I didn't know what to do and I didn't know what to say. And other family members who I knew should go and needed to go to Al-Anon 
wouldn't go. Now, full of regrets for all the things that never seemed to go right, regrets that we gave messages that hard work and success were the most important things in life, discouraged, worn out and tired, I thought, okay, I guess I'll just have to do this all by myself. But what's this I'm hearing at meetings? Why are you talking about these 12 steps? They're acting like they apply to us, to me. I still don't really understand why they got in the wrong books, but that's okay. I'm sure it was no mistake, and pretty soon, somebody sitting here at these meetings will tell me how it all works, and I can apply these steps to where they belong. And you may have already guessed who I thought that was. I have to tell you, though, that I was very impressed uh, with the people at those first uh, meetings that I went to. Apparently, I was clueless as to what they were talking about, but I really did feel good there. They were upbeat, talking, actually looking like they were having a good time. A lot of them were even laughing. And I figured that they knew something that I didn't, and I wanted whatever it was that they seemed to have. I just didn't know what it was that I needed to be taught. Now, because of Al-Anon, I am no longer ashamed or embarrassed, for they taught me that drug and alcohol addictions is a disease. And today, I can discuss addictions in the same tone that I would discuss someone with diabetes, and I don't have to say chemically dependent anymore. Now, all through these trials and turmoil, we never stopped loving or caring about this child, nor did my husband or I ever think about abandonment. And you know, Elanon taught me that that was okay, and they taught me to separate the addiction from the person. Elanon taught me that I did not cause it, and that I could not cure it, and I certainly could not control it. I learned that addictions had no bearing on whether one was a good parent, a bad parent, a good husband or a good wife or a good or bad anything else. Good students, poor students, good homes, bad homes did not cause alcoholism or drug addictions. Now, I was really comforted by this knowledge. It took me a long while that to really believe that I did not cause it and to stop trying to control it. And slowly I came to realize that there really is no point in looking for the cause or, or finding fault or looking for blame. But I did learn that there are things that we, the family, did that perpetuated it. And I learned that I could stop doing this. Before Al-Anon, I did not understand the role that I was playing that was so destructive to myself and to everybody else around me. And I did not understand that I was responsible for my own happiness and that my happiness did not depend on what others said or did. 
I learned all of that at Al-Anon meetings. I heard things that I had been searching for all of my life. I didn't realize all the unnecessary burdens I had always accepted. I learned not to take on burdens that did not belong to me. And I learned not to rescue if someone else's decisions landed them in trouble. Now believe me, learning these principles was a lot easier than practicing them. I could stand up here for a long time and read from a list, but not to worry, I'm not going to stand up here for a long time, and I don't have the list, but I could, I could stand up here for a long time and read from the list of how my love for this child, my heart and my emotions, often got in the way of making good choices, choices that were not in the best interest for me or for anyone else. Now the good part is that the program has taught me how to let go and to allow God to work in my life, a concept that I never before really understood. Prayer and meditation, trusting in God, has taken on a new meaning. Now, will I always be somewhat of a perfectionist, over-organized and wanting everything to be exactly just right? The answer is probably, and very likely I will. I'm not even going to tell you how I totally absorb, how I got totally absorbed in preparing for uh, tonight, and how, my, how I threw myself into preparing for this talk. Nobody told me that I had to tell you everything. But you know, today, today I can be who I am, and I'm happy that I like to be prepared and organized. Now I can accept that is who I am, and I can be who I am in a positive manner and not make it my business what other people think of me. What I can do or what I choose not to do has to do with me and nobody else. That's something I never knew before. There is this uh, wonderful lady at our meetings, and those of you who are in my group will know who this is, that always reminds us there is no graduation from, uh, from this program. And another very neat lady who eventually became a very good friend and later my sponsor would remind me that recovery was a process and not a one-time event. A reminder that I didn't always like to hear. But I learned that she certainly did know her program, and I came to under, uh, understand and accept what she had been telling me. Elanon taught me that mistakes aren't necessarily failures, I had always thought if I dared to make a mistake, I would be a complete failure. Now, because of Elanon, I can admit my mistakes and use them as opportunities to change and to meet new challenges with confidence. Now, the steps have really set me free. I always think the steps are spelled wrong. I think they should be spelled freedom. Uh, 
The steps have uh, set me free to take risks without being burdened and constantly worried about other, what other people may think. You know, people-pleasing has always left me just totally exhausted. And then I would find myself being angry and resentful at the people that I was trying the hardest to please. I also recall another very special Al-Anon friend that would remind me to stay in the present, to stay in today. She reminded, uh, reminded me of that one time when I was whining about something that was long gone. And I remember her exact words. She said, but Florence, that isn't happening now. But I always knew that I had won up on some of these women at the meetings. Many of them are wives of alcoholics. And I used to tell them I was smart enough not to marry an alcoholic. I knew how to raise and train my own. <laughs> but then I had to admit that they had one up for me. Uh, they had one up on me. They could get a divorce. Me, I was stuck with this kid. <laughs> now, because of anonymity, you have probably noticed that I have only referred to the loved one. Uh, the drug addict, the alcoholic in my story, as my child, this child, or the young adult. And I have not divulged a gender or identity, although I know a lot of you who know me uh, know who it is. But I am happy to tell you that because of the fellowship of 12-step uh, programs, this child, who is now a grown-up, actually past 40, this once-upon-a-time child recently celebrated nine years of sobriety. <laughs> Makes me want to clap, too. Now, Elanon has a much broader spectrum other than just dealing with our reactions to alcoholism. Al-Anon works for me in every aspect that I have to face in life. My Al-Anon program and my Al-Anon friends were right there for me when we learned that our first grandson would never walk. And they held me up when my heart was broken when that family became a broken home. And my Al-Anon friends never let me down when I struggled to deal with the many losses associated with this young person's addiction. The nearly permanent loss of a profession, a fear I had of a college edu education down the drain, and in the depths of this disease, being hospitalized and having a doctor confirm that without help and soon, death was but a short step away. Their support gave me the strength to carry on and take care of myself, always reminding me that I do not have to do this alone, that the God of my understanding and the people sitting there at all of my meetings sharing their wisdom and their experience are the stairway to my own recovery. All I have to do is reach out and be willing. 
Now, my first inclination when Barb called to ask me if I would be willing to be one of the uh, Al-Anon speakers, and she did offer me some uh, options, what I really wanted to say to her was, no, I'm too scared to do this. But instead, I found myself asking her, how much time do I have to decide? And as I recall, she only gave me a few days, which was a good move on her part, Given too much time to think, I know I would have scared myself into saying no. And along with the I'm too scared part, you know, I always told some of my friends that I always felt like I didn't really have a story to tell. I would hear some of the other people tell their stories, and their stories were so interesting and so funny and so good, and I thought, I don't really have a story to tell. But I do know that we all have a story. And the being too scared part is a reality that I decided to tackle. Now they say that having the courage to speak can be a good and healthy step in recovery. And I thought, what the heck? Why be scared of a little more recovery? (laughs) And I do sincerely thank you for understanding my fears and for the privilege of allowing me to tell my story. Thank you very much.